Alright, here we go again. Welcome back to Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of ex-video store guys who just love talking about movies. I'm CJ's helmet. <laughs> uh, joining me as always is uh, Cesar Alejandro from Filmsmash.com. Hey Cesar. Hey, what's up? How are we doing today? I'm doing alright. Yeah. Dark things going over uh, in California. Seems like it's been pretty hot though. Dude, I'm telling you right now, last night as I was driving home from work, there was a wildfire in, I don't know if it was in Cleveland National Forest, but it was in that direction. I, I could You could see it from the house. With the sky darkened and there was no moon out at the time, it literally looked like we were in Lord of the Rings and like Mount Doom was over the horizon. It, it was that bad. It, was, it wasn't that bad when I was over there. It was yeah. impressive in such a scary way. So, it's funny because I remember, um, I don't know, a handful of episodes ago, uh, you know, we had a wildfire near the house and I was talking about how scary it was. But it's just like, it's just crazy, uh, you know, that that, that stuff is, is so, um, so frequent uh, out here. And it's, you know, I mean, the glow was like red and orange and, I, it literally looked like we were next to a volcano. <laughs> I've seen like uh, a handful of videos that people have uh, like posted on YouTube of uh, their their views of wildfires. Yeah, it looks pretty scary, especially in the evening. It looks surreal almost. Yeah, absolutely. So so California's hot, not just because of the weather, but because of the fire. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> How's Maryland? Uh, it's hot and humid, and that kind of sucks. <laughs> it's like it's like only I guess it's ninety six degrees, but the humidity is like ninety percent right now. So yeah, I definitely nice. don't miss the humidity. Yeah. Well, whatever. I'm inside. So. You're in your air condition. I'm an indoor kid. <laughs> Video games and movies and comics and stuff. Yeah. Who needs climbing trees and playing stickball? <laughs> Not. Not, not at 34, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so what are we talking about today? Uh, well, we're, we're talking about uh, Charade. So this is a film that um, <laughs> we had attempted to record a few weeks, uh, maybe almost a month ago. But for any number of reasons, it kept on getting delayed until um, to here we are now um, on both sides, I think. But uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about it. This was my first time watching the film. Nice. Uh, well, before we do that, do you have any any other movies that you've watched recently that you want to you know suggest or recommend or just review? Um, well, uh, I definitely would consider myself kind of late to the game on this. But recently, I watched um, uh, what we do in the what we do in the shadows. Uh, the <laughs> That's funny because. Uh, uh, Chelsea's been trying to get me to watch that forever, um, and we finally sat down to watch it like a month ago, maybe, and I fell asleep like 20 minutes in, and she <laughs> she watched it, and then just woke me up afterwards, but so I still haven't seen it. So what did you think? Did you like it? Well, I'll stay away from spoilers, but yeah, I enjoyed the film. There's a lot of people... Uh, I, get, I think now it's probably hyperbole, but there's a lot of people who like absolutely love the film, and I thought the film was good. It was very amusing, um, with a handful of like genuine like laugh out loud moments. Um, but I think it's the type of movie that you need to watch multiple times to truly get like the full charm of it. Um, the performances are good. This is only the second film I've seen from uh, Taika. Um, the first, of course, being Thor Ragnarok. But uh, you know, I I like his choices in the film. Uh, and I like I like the cast, and I think a lot of the um, a lot of the, the like awkward humor that exists in it is right up my alley. Yeah. Overall, it was very enjoyable, but I don't think it's as big a game changer as a lot of people seem to present it as um, prior to my watching it. Do people present it as a game changer? Uh, well, there's there's people that say it's the best horror comedy of all time. Um, I've talked to a number of people who feel that way. It's overall pretty fairly well received, but yeah, I mean, I, looking at my letterbox, most of the people I know and follow that have seen it, um, 
rated it quite a bit higher than I did. So Okay. Well, if I ever, you know, make it through without falling asleep, I'll let you know what I think. Yeah. Who knows if it'll ever happen though. <laughs> That's true. Uh hey, did you see the new Mission Impossible? I did, yes. What'd you think about that? Uh I thought it was good. <laughs> um <laughs> End of review. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the movie's solid. Really great stunt work. Tom Cruise, you know, I mean, we've talked about him many times. Tommy C. It, it uh, does everything right. Um, personally, there's something to it, though, that, like, keeps it from, like, in my eyes, being as good as some previous entries. Like, I, I really, really like Ghost Protocol. Yeah. I like Rogue Nation a lot. Um, I think Fallout is probably my third favorite behind those two in that order. Okay. I would say the first one is still my favorite. I love the first one. Um, I think... I I like this series of films, you know, uh, minus John Woo's entry. Um, You know, and I I like the, the idea of them kind of bringing in a lot of large scale... Uh, stunt work, um, but I like the intimacy and the intrigue of the first one a lot. I like the style, the kind of cat and mouse quality that um, the first one has, which comes directly from the TV series. I think they've strayed a little bit too far away from that. Um, the The stakes are too big. You know, in the first movie, Tom Cruise doesn't use a gun at all. Uh, I, I don't think he fires a gun once the entire movie. Um, and it's, you know, the whole thing is, the whole plot is predicated on the idea that there's just a list of names that, of agents that will be in danger if the list gets out. So it's much smaller stakes than the last few movies, which have been all about really saving the world from nuclear weapons or, or whatever. Um, and I, I, I hope that they at some point go back to, something that's a little bit more small scale and stylish as opposed to, you know, the, the really big stunt stuff. But it is impressive. And, uh, you know, um, when you can tell that, you know, whether, whether it's Tom Cruise or, or anybody else, when you can tell that it's really the actor, you know, hanging on the side of a building or driving the car or riding the motorcycle, uh, it, it does add a little bit of extra tension, even though you know that they're going to be okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's numerous examples of like, tr- absolutely like jaw dropping stunt work in this film. Um, I do think that, um, a lot of the action in this film, uh, people are going to look at years from now and, you know, hopefully look for it as inspiration to, to maintain real, um, physical stunt work as opposed to visual effects to achieve like, you know, action sequences. Yeah, I, I um, it's funny, I had a conversation with Chelsea after we watched it, um, where like I, I almost feel like some action scenes in the film could have been tighter, could have been cut better, but they wanted to hang on the shots, you know, to emphasize the fact that it was really Tom Cruise that you were looking at, and I felt like some of the, uh, some of the scenes weren't as dynamic as a result of it, so I... I as much as I love it, I think there are certain instances throughout the film, uh, especially like during the motorcycle chase, uh, where it hinders those scenes that they could have been just, you know, this much better if they had actually like, you know, added a few more cuts and stuff like that. And I'm not one for like super quick cutty action scenes. Um, I like it when the camera hangs on stuff. But I like I didn't feel like I was gripping my seat as hard as I could have, um, you know, because sometimes I felt like they were holding a shot just a little too long. Yeah, I think I know exactly what you mean, um, especially I'd say uh, the climactic helicopter sequence. Yeah, there's a lot of moments when like you'll you'll see Tom, you know, go into a dive and then pull up uh, with the ridge visible in front of uh, the helicopter's windshield. Um but then you see him write himself again afterwards. I was like, you know, you probably don't need to to show him, you know, steadying himself again, not within the context of uh, a chase. You yeah. Know? But, you know, I'm glad it's successful. I'm glad it's making money. Um, you know, I'm glad people are talking about 
you know, something positive uh, uh, about Tom Cruise as opposed to a lot of the negative stuff that we've heard over the past few years about his social life and about his, you know, uh, spiritual beliefs and things like that. So good on you, Tommy C. I feel like we've always given him a fair shake on here, though, so... Well, yeah, I, well, I, I, you're a fair-minded person, and I'm a Tom Cruise fan, so I think, <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to get uh, trashed on this show, but, you know, there's a lot of that going around sometimes. Mm, yes. Anything else you want to talk about real quick before we get into trade? Mm, no, not really. I feel like, uh, probably uh, since watching this film, I haven't watched as many films as I could have, so, but I'm pretty happy, uh. Just, just being busy because uh, upcoming convention and all. So yeah, uh, maybe I'll have something to talk about next next week. Cool. Um, all right, so let's move on to Charade. Um, Charade is uh, Stanley Donnan's 1963 film featuring Audrey Hepburn, uh, Cary Grant, James Coburn, Walter Matthau, um, uh, about a a woman who discovers that her husband has been killed, and then as a result of that, the investigation turns up things. Um, about him that she did not know, um, and a, a a mystery builds uh, around a missing two hundred and fifty thousand dollars U.S. Um, of which three mysterious men come out of the woodwork to try to um, to get from her. So something like that. <laughs> Tip of the iceberg. <laughs> So, you mentioned this was a first-time watch, and that you were excited to talk about it. Hopefully, that's because you enjoyed the film. Um, what were your thoughts initially? Um, well, overall, like, um, I didn't realize that the movie was um, so snappy in terms of dialogue. Um, probably from, like, the first five minutes, you notice right away that there's a, a nice, uh, quick and witty, like, rapport that, like, develops immediately between Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. The humor, uh, I liked immensely. So I think being unexpected like that, I kind of, in my mind, I had the idea that it was just going to be like a cat and mouse thriller, which, you know, there, it's part of that too. But this movie kind of genre bends in a way that was totally unexpected for me. Cool. Uh, you know, I think um, going back, I haven't watched this movie in years and years. Going back and rewatching it, I, I feel like... Um, I feel like I had a little bit of the the opposite effect, where I like I almost feel like the tone yo-yos back and forth um, in, in a way that's not it's not bad per se, but like I I was surprised, um, and I kind of feel like um, some of the extreme changes in tone throughout the movie are a little bit jarring, though I still enjoy the movie, of course. Um, that opening scene that you're talking about between, well, it's not really the opening scene. The opening scene is a dead man being thrown off of a train, uh, before you get that great pre-credit sequence, the opening credits, um, with the Henry, Henry Mancini score, which is really, really good. Um, you know, the music in the film is, is excellent. Um, but that scene with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn, you're right, the dialogue is really, um, sharp. Uh, and I like um, some of the crackling wit that they have in there about her. She's really messing with him quite a bit in that scene. Mm -hmm. um, she has I, zero expectation of seeing him again, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, she she kind of gives him a hard time for giving up too early because she thinks that he's hitting on her. Which, of course, he's there for a specific reason. We just don't know that as the audience, though. So um, what were some of your favorite scenes from the film? To be honest, I, I like um, the funeral scene. Okay. Uh, when you're introducing, I guess, uh, George, uh, the other characters, uh, George Kennedy, uh, Coburn, and uh, Ned Glass. Ned Glass, Gideon, yeah? Yeah. Um, so I think the way each of them shows up, they kind of reveal a bit of their their characters without having to say a single word. Um, that scene's pretty good, and I like the Kennedy versus Grant fight scene. On, uh, on top of a building by a, by a neon tower. Yeah, that's um, the American Express building in Paris. That's uh, That was a set, but uh, it, it was apparently like a scale recreation. Um, and uh, I'm sure, well, 
there are other ones that I think hopefully they'll probably come to mind as we're talking about the film. It's been a couple of weeks since I saw it, so maybe a week. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of scenes that are very enjoyable, um, but I guess most of them for me include Cary Grant. But yeah, you know, that's not a that's not a. Audrey <laughs> Hepburn, she's quite good in it too. Yeah. Now, um. Obviously, we've talked about Cary Grant before on the show. Uh, we did uh, Only Angels Have Wings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe uh, we talked about North by Northwest a little bit on one episode, too, right? Sure. I'll talk about it anytime. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this was towards the end of Cary Grant's career. Cary Grant only made two movies after Charade before he retired. Um, and so this is after all of the... Hitchcock movies that he did, um, and, and well past all the screwball comedies that he did, um, you know, like Arsenic and Old Lace and His Girl Friday and Bringing Up Baby, um, and I think this movie, it really is almost designed to kind of play to both of those facets of Cary Grant's movie persona, so you get, you get some screwball scenes like the shower scene, which, to be honest, I feel like is completely out of place in this movie. That's uh, a really weird scene, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's delightful to watch as, you know, if you just take it as one scene in a movie. You know, like a romantic comedy scene between him and Audrey Hepburn, and he's just being silly and playful, uh, which apparently was the result of him not wanting to take his clothes off because he felt like he was a little bit too old and too overweight to do... Uh, a partial nude scene. <laughs> um, so they just turned it into a comedic bit. Um, but uh, it, it really, it really kind of leans into that aspect of it. The scene in the, um, and in fact, those are probably the scenes that I like the least in the movie are the ones that are a little bit more screwball, a little bit more broad comic. Um, the scene in the, at the restaurant that they go to, on their quote-unquote like first date, essentially, where they're playing the game where they have to move the orange from person to person without using their hands. Oh yeah, that's that's really weird. It, 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 all, it, I, all I could get was like a swinger vibe to it. Yeah, it's a very '60s kind of thing, and like those those parts of the movie are, I think, the ones that I'm like not only least interested in. But I think fit the tone, the overall tone of the movie, the least. But it, it it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird nineteen sixties like they're really trying everything, <laughs> in, in this movie. That the orange that orange transfer game thing that they're playing it goes on way too long too. Yeah, like, it does have a good, uh, it does end at a good place where essentially it's the, uh, the Gideon character uh, is the person behind her. And he scares her and she runs off. Um, so they they kind of... That's what I mean. Like, the whole thing... Like, for every, like, serious, tense scene, there's almost always a really light scene before it. And I think that that's by design, you know, between uh, the writer Peter Stone and uh, Stanley Don and the director. Uh, Stanley Don and who we should mention... I mean, did a number of great movies, but uh, certainly has one in the Hall of Fame with uh, Singing in the Rain. I think um, the movie, uh, in terms of going back to what you said about balancing, like, seriousness and levity, um, I think the movie itself, you know, it presents, it presents itself uh, um, fairly low stakes. And I guess, like, it's something about the breeziness of the film. Um, and the performances and direction that kind of, you know, sometimes you forget that, like, you know, people are willing to kill for, like, uh, for, like, this wealth that, that everyone's kind of jockeying for uh, because of how, I guess, uh, light Audrey Hepburn seems to take everything. And then when you, because it gives you a fair, fair shot, you get to see, like, um, the antagonist as well as the protagonist, like, not necessarily equally, but a good amount. So you got to see them, how kind of like goofy they are. It's kind of like, maybe this is a bad example, but if you look at like Home Alone, you realize that like Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern's character are willing to kill children to get what <laughs> they want, but like you never really feel that they're really a threat. Right. It, like you know? the, the, the violence is always at arm's length in that. Yes. 
So, but yeah, like you know, they mentioned like murdering children. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys have probably killed before until until they meet Kevin McAllister. The wet bandits. Let's not get that, you know. Well, like in Charade, like, I, because of that breezy tone, because of that lightness, when you see George Kennedy dead in the tub, when you see James Coburn dead with a bag over his head. Yeah, Coburn dead was like, holy cow. <laughs> and, and even the opening scene of the film, when you see the dead body thrown off the train, you get a nice, like, close-up of the open eyes of the corpse at the bottom of a, of a hill. The, the violence is really like in your face, you know, but only for a moment. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, they're sticking the knife in just kind of reminding you of what the stakes are in the film. Um, but yeah, so like it, so I don't know. I could understand. I mean, this is generally considered to be, uh, a very good movie, you know, a classic um, late era Hollywood film before the studio system collapsed, that sort of thing. Um, you know, with big stars and and uh, you know a lot of wit and and good production values, and all that is true. But I can totally understand why someone would be kind of either, especially a modern viewer, where we tend to make movies now that have a much more even tone throughout the picture. I could see why people may not like get on board the charade train because of that. Um, I, don't, I know what you mean. Uh, charade do, does tend to seem does tend to seem like more of a. It's fairly mainstream. I think there's a lot for most people to find to enjoy in this film, even if they don't enjoy the entire picture or all elements of it. I think uh, it holds up fairly well today. It's good. Yep. Are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> um, so uh, let's talk about Audrey Hepburn a little bit. Um, I have to confess that uh, Audrey Hepburn is obviously an icon. Um, I, ha I have to admit I've never seen a lot of her movies. I've seen Charade and I've seen uh, The Children's Hour and I've seen Wait Until Dark and I've seen... Uh, no, one, no one ever says first. Sabrina, uh, I've never seen. I've never seen the biggest ones like Roman Holiday and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Funny Face. I have seen Funny Face. So, but so like, you know, I, I'm very familiar with her, but at the same time, I have not seen a lot of her her big titles. So it's always it's always a nice you know when I go back and rewatch Charade, it's always nice to be reminded you know like uh, how talented she was uh comedically um and i think one of her great gifts uh you know re-watching charade this time was how she's able to kind of uh go from like one extreme to the other like in the same moment almost um all it takes is a phone call yeah but i i mean like you know she she's able to let me see if i can think of a good example um you know, like like in the very end scene, you know, spoiler alert, obviously, um, when she finds out that uh, that Peter Adam, <laughs> whatever Dial, whatever the, the Cary Grant character who has many personas throughout the throughout the story, um, is actually the government agent that she has to turn in the money to, um, and you know she's upset that that he has you know gone to such, such extremes and, and deceived her. And, you know, he casually mentions like a marriage license and she's going on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, like, like a cartoon character, she almost like snaps from one emotion into the other. Um, and she, she's very good at doing that. Um, that scene in particular, I, I, at that moment, I was like, Karagrat's kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, she finds out his real name. And then, like, uh, she asked, you know, is there a Mr. or is there a Mrs. Um, uh, Krushchek or what, what's his other name? Um, I can't remember. Krushchek. Uh, Krushchek. Um, it's like, is there a Mrs. Krushchek? And he's like, yes. Like, he doesn't know what she means. <laughs> he's like the doctor in Arrested Development. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you gotta let him go on just a little bit further. <laughs> 
Slim finish, slim finish. <laughs> that was like, like he didn't know what she was like looking for. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, there is my mother. Well, it was, it was interesting, you know, I talked about how Cary Grant was a little bit older in this film and, and was a little bit more self-conscious about aging. Uh, you know, you it, know what the age difference is uh, between he and Hepburn? Because the film, they reference quite a bit how much older he is compared to her. Uh, I, I did look it up. I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I think he was about 25 years older than she was. Um, so he was in his mid to late fifties and she was in her early thirties. I think she, she had just turned 30 or 31 or something like that. Um, but he was, he was very conscious of that. And, um, when he signed on to charade, uh, he requested that, that because he was uncomfortable kind of wooing someone so young, he requested that they kind of change it so that she's the pursuer so Peter Stone, the writer, and Stanley Donning kind of rework things so that the Audrey Hepburn character, Reggie, um, is the one who's constantly going after him and, and kind of making passes at him and, and kind of, you know, using innuendo and things like that so that, so that he doesn't have to. And he, he's kind of the straight guy. So I, I like in a couple parts of the movie... Um, there are jokes about how young she is, like when they're riding the elevator and uh, I think she asks if he wants to come in and he says, no, I could be arrested for transporting a minor past the first floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like that they, you know, like Cary Grant is a very likable actor. He was, you know, he was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, made, you know, tons of successful pictures as we've talked about. Um, and I, I like the idea that everyone in the movie, with one exception, <laughs> is who they seem to be, except for the guy you expect to be up front with you, uh, you know, as a viewer, and that's Cary Grant. So they, they constantly kind of shift and reverse like our expectation of his character throughout the movie. That is one thing that I think really holds up well and works in the picture. Um, you know, like he's, he's a nobody in the first scene and I love that he's introduced holding the hand of uh, the Jean-Louis character, the kid, because as a viewer, you automatically trust him because he's holding the hand of a child. So it, he's set up as a good guy right off the bat. And then, you know, we meet him later after Audrey Hepburn finds out about the plot about her husband and the money, and he comes back into it in um, after he fights George Kennedy in the hotel room, we find out that he's actually in cahoots with the other three men. Cary Grant, uh, his stuntman doing a couple, a little bit of, like, you know, parkour. Yeah, uh, well, it's very um, To Catch a Thief. I, I kind of felt like they were really leaning on the Hitchcock stuff there. Um, but, uh, so, you know, so they reverse it. And then all of a sudden, as a viewer, you feel betrayed. And you're like, no, you know, not Cary Grant. You know, but um, then you're worried about Audrey Hepburn anytime Cary Grant is close to her. And then he's able to sort of, like, he's able to sort of, like, recharm his way into the hearts of the audience until the next time that it's discovered that he's a liar. <laughs> and, and that happens that happens four times throughout the movie where he's he, kinda used to it by the midway point. And yeah. You're like, yeah, you're you're like, okay, I just I'm just gonna you you're either two sides. I'm just gonna trust this guy or I'm not gonna trust this guy. Right. So, I think you're I think you're right on the target there because like that is exactly what the Hepburn character Reggie does. Like at a, at a certain point she's just like I don't even care, like, I just like him. <laughs> I, you know, she, she wants him, she, she wants to romance him, you know, I don't want to make it more than it is, but, you know, she, she likes him enough to trust him, even to the point where at the end of the movie, you know, she completely trusts the Walter Matthau character. And then Cary Grant casts suspicion on him, and she doesn't know what to do because she's not sure who is who, but ultimately... Grant is the person she she believes in the most, and she you know she goes to him, and then they have their the climactic you know uh, stage finale. Um, 
those chases through the Parisian streets are pretty pretty well shot though. Like I like a lot of the moving camera stuff. It's low angle. It's really well lit. Like yeah, I think a lot of the architecture like uh, is really terrific too. So it lends itself really well to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just uh, like rewatching it. I was surprised that the action stuff actually holds up really well. The fight with George Kennedy on the rooftop. You you can like Cary Grant was a very gifted physical actor, and I know he kind of started as like an acrobat and tosses and stuff. He does this one move I think is really weird though. But is it the kick? Well, it's like he tries to climb up. Oh oh, push himself off the wall. Yeah yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> really awkward move <laughs> i don't know too much too much kung fu films for me i guess yeah being a james bond fan i i know you know people have always sort of like tried to fan cast james bond through the ages and you know I, a lot of people feel like Cary grant would have been a great james bond and and i i really i really would have to agree with that i think i think he would have been a much different james bond but I think if you look at young Cary Grant in some of the Hitchcock movies, especially like Suspicion, he has a much darker side than than I think people remember. And I think he could have been a really kick-ass James Bond. And he, he totally could have pulled off the physical stuff. Yeah. I think he does show off, speaking about that Kennedy fight, Kennedy fight scene, you know, like he's, he's rolling around on the ground, you know, he's blocking punches. And I think... Kennedy, yeah, with his prosthetic hook arm, is very cartoonish. Yeah, he's a very James Bond bad guy. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I mean, that's that's an alternate universe a glimpse of what could have been. You know, you never know. Cary Grant might actually be a secret agent, right? A Bond. There, <laughs> there know, were there were rumors that he was he was actually like a British spy in Hollywood. I read that somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably not true. It's the opposite of Timothy Dalton and the, the Rocketeer. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, lo I love Grant in this. Um, I, I have to admit, though, like s some of the some of the screwball stuff for me just doesn't work. Um, maybe that's because what I want from Charade is the espionage and the intrigue and stuff, and I don't want a slapsticky. Uh, I don't mind the romantic comedy stuff, but, like, the slapsticky, like, broad stuff. Like, getting squirt in the face with a water pistol. Like, <laughs> that... I was like, how cold was, was that water? They were, like, on a friggin' mountain. I know, they're in the Alps. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that kid could have given, like, Karagrat pneumonia. I, I love that um, uh, Audrey Hepburn is, like, outside eating, like, breakfast or something. And she's all, like, bundled up in, like, winter clothing. And she's eating, like, a salad outside. <laughs> like, hey, actually have some soup. Her... Warm yourself up, Audrey Hepburn. Come on. You ever actually see her eat it, though, or she just play with it on the table? Yeah, she. Well, she's eating in that opening scene because the I can't remember the actress's name who plays. Is it Sophie, the other uh, interpreter friend? I don't remember. Um, but like she's she's, no she's got that great line where she says, um, you know, it's it's too bad that 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 your worries don't turn into fat or something like that. Because you know, she's she's eating that whole first scene, even as they're walking past the pool, Audrey Hepburn's got like a like a cookie or something that she's eating as she walks across. She's like Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. She's eating all the time. Yeah, like I think there's a moment when like they're at a cafe or something, and like they have food. The a waiter brings food over, and she she gets like a, a bowl of soup or something. And Grant French onion soup, soup yeah. Yeah, I get cigarettes. <laughs> That's with the um, uh, Walter Matthau. Is that no, no? But they haven't. No, no. But that's uh... yeah. The no. scene where she has soup. It's um. She. It's after she finds out that um, Cary Grant's after the money, quote unquote. She calls Walter Matthau, and they meet in the uh, in like the all night diner. Um, and she keeps lighting there. cigarettes, even though she's got one on. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That's oh, yeah, a good that's scene, right. though, he too. Where, he has a line where he says, do you know how expensive these are? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mathau's freaking great in this movie. Like, I freaking love him so much. Um, I love the... Uh, 
the whole bit that they keep going back and forth on between agents and spies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's one time in the office when, when he says, you know, we call them agents. And she's like, you know, you're a spy? And he's like, no, I'm administrator. And, uh, and then later he says spy in the same scene. And she, says, she corrects him and says agents. And his, his reaction which is is so like subtle and soft but like he it's obvious that he's like amused that she's correcting him because he's not really you know he not who he claims to be but he like he gives this like grinchy smile um which i think is absolutely fabulous it just everything he does in this movie is no perfect for me i love him <laughs> like i like that he pulls sandwiches out of a closet <laughs> it's <laughs> that's another thing like she eats all the time so she she ends up getting a chicken sandwich in that scene she gets ice cream with Cary Grant later um, they have dinner on the boat uh, when they have the the charade music that Mancini stuff behind him or is it Johnny Mercer whatever ah, look it up internet there you go um, but yeah, so like I, she's totally like Brad Pitt's character Rusty from Ocean's Eleven. She's eating constantly. So Re- Rusty, Rusty's basically Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, that's all right. I'm sure Brad Pitt would enjoy that comparison. Yeah, probably. There are worse I'm things to be. Jeez. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we talk about some of the other supporting uh, characters here? Go for it. Yeah, the, you know, you got um, James Coburn. He plays a character named Tex. Um, George Kennedy plays a guy named Scobie, and uh, Ned Glass plays a guy named Gideon. Yep. Um, we talked earlier about George Kennedy. He's a character with like a hook in his arm, uh, a couple pro- like a prosthetic, and um, he's well, he like he his lost arm. his hand when they um, on the same mission that they got their their money. They stole the money. Yeah, his his hand got shot off. Right. Coburn has this fantastic line. It's almost a throwaway after he gets, after he turns up dead and uh, Coburn says, maybe he'll be reunited with his hands someplace now. (laughs) (laughs) Coburn's great. He says that to Cary Grant and (laughs) Cary Grant's like, oh, well, he's like, good one. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's funny because like Coburn's a very sort of like um, more modern pre- modern meaning nineteen sixties a more modern presence in this film uh, the way that he acts and and his demeanor and everything and uh, every every time he's in a scene with Cary Grant I can just kind of see the old Hollywood versus new Hollywood thing going on there um, which like the this whole movie is kind of. There, there's like a tension between the formalism of old Hollywood and the sort of like the realism that's kind of like creeping into it. Um, and it, you, you can see it like in, in certain scenes, like uh, the opening scene with, or not the opening scene, but the scene on the Alps. Um, Audrey Hepburn is, is lit and shot like old Hollywood style, like with a lot of heavy light and like softer focus. But when they do the reverse shot for Sophie, um, it's much more like naturalistic. And you get that a lot throughout the movie, like that tension between like, like the upcoming kind of new wave of naturalism that is going to take over, you know, which will end up being the American new wave in the seventies and the sort of like classic, like golden age stuff. Yeah, I think this is this movie does have a number of elements to it that kind of seem transitive between those two eras. I guess when you look at like uh, the menace of a villain like like Tex, you know he's he's definitely he's a psychological style presence, even though he's he is you know it's Coburn, he's very physically imposing still. Um, you know the hot headedness of like Kennedy's character. Coburn's sexy though. Coburn's he's got suave. Pimp. He like, totally is. He's rocking corduroy like suit and stuff. It's like <laughs> he is. He is stylish as a motherfucker. Like I'm pretty sure I've seen my fa- pictures of my father in a corduroy suit. <laughs> they were in the seventies, so like Coburn's like out of decades. He's streets ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he's a trailblazer. 
Yes. Um, I, that scene where he is like interrogating Audrey Hepburn with the in, in, in the phone booth with the matches, the whole time I'm thinking, why doesn't she just blow them out? <laughs> Well, I mean, he holds it right in front of her. Yeah, he's holding it right in front of her face. Why doesn't she just blow out, it out? Like, but then when she when she like begins to get scared, um, as it goes on, then you start to feel like uh, encroaching tension. But like when that scene starts, it feels comedic almost, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it comes right out of that uh, that orange scene. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um. Like, the character of Gideon, he seems kind of like he's an odd non-presence. Like, they mentioned that he's, I think Tex says something, it was, uh, Tex says something along the line that he's probably the most cruel out of all of them, but he never ever really gets a sense to showcase it. No. And he's the first one killed, too. So he's, he's, you know, I hate to say it, but he's kind of a throwaway character. What's, what's the line when, um, when Scooby dies? Um, that the, uh, I guess like the, the Parisian commissioner says, "It's like he drowned in his he drowned in his bed in his pajamas." Yeah. That's impossible. It's funny because um, there's this whole thing about pajamas because, like, when they found Charles's body, Audrey Reggie's husband, uh, he had been thrown out of the train in his pajamas. So, like, the inspector has a great line later. Uh, I think after they find George Kennedy's body. He, he tells everybody probably that they shouldn't get into their pajamas tonight or something like that, you know. Um, the inspector is a kind of a, you know, a funny character, but like like a lot of these movies where we're more interested in the um, the spies and the criminals, uh, the, the police are often depicted as like ineffectual, and that's definitely the case here. Um, but I like the actor, and I think he's got a, a couple of really good moments and I like his interrogation scene with Audrey Hepburn uh, when he's asking her all those questions and she's like, I don't know, you know, if Charles had family. I don't know how he did his money. I don't know any of that stuff. And then he just, like, stands up, like, he's irate. He stands up and he says, like, impossible, madame. Or, you know, um, he's really good. I think uh, when you, you mentioned, like, the funeral scene when they introduce, like, these, uh, um, like, the three villains... Uh, don't we see? Wait, is it um, is it Kennedy that comes in that and stabs like the um, the body with a pin? Yes. That, yeah. Coburn uses a mirror and like, uh, check, check if he's breathing. Yeah. I don't remember what Gideon does. He might just walk up and does he does he like bend down and just kind of like put his head near his chest to see if he's beating his beating heart or something. He sneezes on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a couple. That's something else about the character that they give him a little like uh, character trait, but that doesn't go anywhere. So. Yeah. Well, they also kind of, and I, I think this is the case for all three of the men because everybody wants the money for themselves and would rather not split it. But uh, when they go to search for the money in the hotel, um, once. Um, Audrey Hepburn and Grant are aware that they're there, and they all get together, and then they split up to search each other's rooms. Yeah. Um, Tex have a, yeah, he and Tex go in together, and they talk about, well, what happens if we find the money that, you know, like, the Gideon character says, you know, something like, better to split it two ways than three ways, or something like that, but... Um, so you get, you get a sense that he is, you know, not a nice man. Much more like the conniving type, as opposed to the hands-on person. Yeah. So about like, uh, what about the um, the reveal at the end? I mean, I mean, spoiler, but you know, Matthau is um, is Dial. Yeah. Uh, do you ever caution Dial? Do, do you ever feel that like that was telegraphed in the movie? Uh, telegraphed? No. Um. I mean, somebody had to be the killer, and then once you find out it's not Cary Grant, once you find out it's not Tex, and everyone else is dead, process of elimination tells you that it's probably Mathau's character, because they're probably not going to just go ahead and introduce a surprise fourth yeah, party at the very end. Um, you know, but I, I think he, I think they do a good job of making Mathau seem. Um, 
helpful to Audrey Hepburn, um, like a legitimate government agent. And they they kind of do these things like it's like him eating the food, him taking like a um, trying to get a stain out of his tie, and things like that. So they they kind of do average ordinary things to make him appear ordinary um, as well. So I, I I don't think it's set up at all. I think it's a really good reveal. I think um, maybe there's maybe this is from someone because this is my first viewing. Um, I guess the context of the day, especially with more modern films, is like the tendency not to trust the government spokesperson and how like they'll, you know, maybe kind of like spin things around to like their own benefit towards the end. But I yeah. kind of had that feeling when I met Matt that he's entertaining. And honestly, I felt that he was a good guy, but I, I felt that like he was like Reggie was ultimately unimportant to him. It was just the money that he was really looking for, too. Yeah, but I don't know. That might just be a modern, like a modern take as a, as a first time viewer. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that definitely. Uh, for me, um, you know, I, I certainly don't remember specifically the first time I watched Charade, but um, but I I think the reveal works for me. Uh, it, it worked for me then, and I think it still works for me now. I think it's I think it's a good setup and payoff. You know, they they do they throw enough shade at Cary Grant to where you you're like the entire movie. I think you're really mostly questioning who he is and what his role really is within the story. Um, aside from you know being the the target of Audrey Hepburn's romance, um, yeah. I think it works. Um, uh, did you ever notice like a motif of of circles like in the movie? Uh, not specifically, but, uh, please do tell. No, well, I'm, I'm just asking because like during the opening sequence, there's a, a pretty, I don't know, maybe it's like 10 or 15 seconds. Well, during the opening credits where they just show like rotating circles, like wheels or something. Not necessarily, but I never got the impression it was supposed to represent like the train or anything. So like when they check into the hotel, you know, there's a, they make a big note about like the spiral staircase, which they use to like light a number of things. Um, you never ever see like it um, as a circle. You're only ever seeing it from the side. Like you never see vertical, um, like a, a top down shot or anything. But um, I was just that was just something curious that I noticed. I was kind of when I saw that in the movie uh, or in the intro at the beginning of the film, I was looking for like references to circles like the whole time, but couldn't find any. So. Yeah, I well, I think a lot of things um, and. Uh, when I say this, I'm not trying to, um, you know, detract from the the great work that that director Stanley Donnan does in this movie, but I think there's a lot of stylistic choices in this film that are random and don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of like nice stylistic shots in the film that really don't serve a purpose. Uh, and the, the the example that comes to mind immediately is the shot in the morgue when once Audrey Hepburn identifies her husband's body, uh, there's there's a, a great shot of, like, the coroner, like, pushing the body back in and the camera's, like, essentially the point of view of the dead corpse. Yeah. But there's no significance to it at all. It's not on Audrey Hepburn... It's on a random extra, the guy who plays the coroner, who basically doesn't even have a line in the movie, and it like they spend 12 seconds on this shot that doesn't mean anything. And I think that happens a couple times throughout the movie, and I just, you know, it was one of those things where they were like, oh, this would be a cool shot, you know, and if somebody was, why do we do it? Well, we do it because we can, because it's a cool shot. Um, so I think, there's a, I think there's a few examples throughout the movie like that but that's the one that sticks out of my mind yeah. i think one of the major principles of them making this movie was it needs to be stylish so so i think that there's some style for style's sake yeah well i mean you're in uh i guess you're in, you're in paris like the most stylistic uh the fashion capital of the world so i guess you gotta you gotta bring it yeah maybe a bit of creative use of um stock projection footage too um i i can't really recall another movie where they do uh, a scene like on the scene on the boat 
they um they go underneath a um uh like a bridge yeah uh, while they're having dialogue and uh and it echoes it echoes yeah, yeah. yeah. so i can't think of another film where they've done that before um, but I, m- I remember that stood out in my mind um, in that moment at least yeah I, it's a nice touch uh, that particular scene um I can't remember if it's in the commentary track or in one of the behind-the-scenes things, but uh, Stanley Donnan confesses that uh, they they didn't want to have to light Paris on both sides of the river, so they only lit it on one side of the river to save money and time, and they used those plates for both the shot and reverse shot of that scene. So if you look closely, like regardless of whether you're looking at Cary Grant or Audrey Hepburn, it's the same buildings behind them, even though they're on opposite sides of the boat. So that's a, that's a just, you know, kind of like a funny little tidbit. Good catch. I didn't catch it. I would have never caught it because I've never been to Paris, but thanks for being honest, Stanley Donnan. Well, it would have been boring if his commentary was just him like patting himself on the back, I guess. Yeah. Um, for this movie, how did you watch it? Was it was it a Blu-ray? I do not own it on Blu-ray. I have um, the Criterion DVD from probably almost twenty years ago. <laughs> the movie is um, for people who don't know. The movie is actually public domain, so very easy to find and watch. Yeah, um, I watched it. You watched it on your DVD, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes. Um, I caught it via Canopy, which had a pretty good. Um, pretty good transfer on it so uh, well this this movie was public domain from the moment it was released in theaters because universal forgot to put the the proper copyright on the picture that's bush league yeah yeah i'm sure it's probably on youtube because it's public domain too so i mean if you want to watch the movie you could watch it pretty much anywhere yeah to be honest i'm um you could probably like internet archive or whatever you know it's out there you should have no excuses not to not to listen to this episode. Then I guess. <laughs> yep. Um, we we didn't talk about uh, about the whole like sort of resolution of this film. So, uh, you know, obviously, if you if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert. If you have seen the movie, um, it is stamps, and uh, they're you know Audrey. They are, ha- they are a sponsor. um you know so uh, you know james coburn figures it out when when they use the uh the journal or whatever to find out where he they basically retrace charles's steps the day before he was killed um and coburn text figures it out and then Cary grant figures it out and uh and it turns out that the the three stamps that um, the Audrey Hepburn character gives the child Jean Louis um, are worth two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. I, I noticed when you watched this movie on Letterbox, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you you made a nice pun saying that this movie had your quote unquote stamp of approval. Um, I like that. There's actually um, there's a joke hidden earlier in the picture, um, written by Peter Stone when Audrey Hepburn is talking to Cary Grant in the empty apartment building, when Cary Grant first resurfaces after the Alps trip, um, and she's telling him what happened to Charles, and she says that he was thrown off of a train like a sack of third-class mail. Um, so I, I thought that was a really nice sort of like, you know, hidden, I wouldn't call it a joke, but like hidden reference to uh, to the... The, the source of the the wealth in the picture. See, that's something to catch the subsequent viewings, though. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely don't think I would have caught that um, like the first time or recalled it by the end of the film. So. That's why I'm here, Cesar. I watch things twice just for you, buddy. When Coburn uh, he figures it out. He's walking in the park and he's like, uh, he's looking at like the stands and he starts freaking out. Like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> Like, oh my god, it's the stamps. And they use the same, uh, they pretty much the same montage of, of the barrage of stamp shots for both Coburn and for Grant. Mm-hmm. 
which is that like that that's a like a very sixties montage kind of thing. It's like uh, it's cool that Hepburn kind of like figures it out, like you know, more gracefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get those like, stamps. They're worth a fortune. Like the. Um, that's a pretty cool scene, though, when they find uh, they find out that Jean Louis has traded the stamps to someone, and then they go to retrieve it. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool scene when they. Uh, I guess it's a stamp appraiser. It is. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that guy totally swindled that kid, and and then he tries to get out of it. He's like, "I knew you would be here. I am not a thief, Madame." Like, yeah, you are. <laughs> it's like you know if you know it's like if they had shown up and been unable to speak French, like he would have totally like kept it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, for a little while they were mine. That is enough. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, right. Dude closed his shop and went home. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get out of here. It's like they interrupted him, but they don't realize. But he was actually like packing his bags to leave. Jamie's dad's Turbo Man. <laughs> well, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> it's always nice when you can put a jingle all the way reference into the podcast. Yeah, especially especially you know with some with an Audrey Hepburn movie, I guess. That doesn't, doesn't happen that often. Uh, I almost spit my orange juice out. Man, missed opportunity. I know. Gotta try, gotta try harder next time. It would have been right all, all over the laptop, too. <laughs> we cannot have that. All right, man. Cool. Um, you got anything else you want to talk about for Charade? Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we covered a lot of the good stuff. So Well... Um, uh, I, I, I would, um, you know, this is many, I can't remember whose quote it is, but some people have said this is the greatest Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock never made. Um, okay. I think this movie has some of the hallmarks of what Hitchcock did well, as far as like, um, you know, putting an ordinary person into unusual circumstances and crafting you know, a very entertaining movie out of it. You know, in this case, Cary Grant is not that person. In this case, Audrey Hepburn is that character in this film. Um, I think they they lean into that very heavily, though. Like, I, I think it's purposeful that they were trying to make a film in the vein of Hitchcock's adventure films. Um, and if you enjoy this movie, Peter Stone, I think, also wrote... Uh, a movie that Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren star in called Arabesque, which is very much in the same vein. Um, so I would recommend that you watch that if you enjoy Charade. Um, I did. Okay. And then um, there's also another Gregory Peck movie called Mirage, which uh, I'm I'm a, a pretty big fan of, um, which is a black and white film. Uh, and... Uh, that one is pretty terrific as well. Um, so check those out if you like charade. <laughs> um, yeah, how about you? Do, you? do you have any final thoughts about the movie? No, I. You know, I mean, I think I did enough talking. <laughs> <laughs> I. You know, it, it's it's a it's a time capsule. You know, it's it's one of those movies that. Um, came you know, we talked about when we talked about Ghostbusters a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talked about how, uh, or at least someone mentioned, I think it was me, that it could only take place in the time that it did. That if you it made the movie five years earlier or five years later, it would not have been Ghostbusters uh, in the, in the way that we know it. And I think the same is true of Charade. I think if it had happened in the late fifties, or if it had happened later in the sixties or seventies that you could not have made a movie um, like this in any of those other time periods. Um, and I think it's, you know, a good, a good representation of that transitional period in Hollywood when we were still, you know, using that formalism and bringing in naturalism. Um, it's entertaining. You know, I think the actors are great in it. I think the writing is witty. Um, I, I think it's still, the, as far as the 
the actual plot goes, the reversals with Cary Grant's character and the reveal with Malter Matthau's character really work well and still hold up. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad we rewatched it. I, you know, I really enjoy the picture. Yeah, good pick. Um, so are we doing uh, The Burbs next? Yeah, that was my pick for cool. our next episode. So, yeah, so watch The Burbs. Um, make sure to follow us uh, on Twitter. Uh, Cesar, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at thumbsmash.com or on Twitter at Junior Bureau as well as um, Letterboxd. That's right, and you can find me on Letterboxd as well or on Twitter at Setting the Frame. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Cesar, thank you for joining me. No problem, CJ. And Thanks we so. will talk to you guys next week uh, for the Burbs. See ya. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. For any inquiries related to Celluloid Jelly, please email settingtheframe at gmail.com.